May the love of God the Father fill each of you with wonder. May the sacrifice of God the Son fill you with gratitude. And may that Holy Spirit who lives within you fill you with eager expectation for your Savior's return. Amen. Dear fellow servants, there's an old saying, you probably heard it. It's, it's given to journalists to try to help them understand in a sentence what is and is not newsworthy. And the saying is, dog bites man, not news. Man bites dog, news. And it's like that in so many different things, isn't it? It's, it's the weird, the out of the ordinary, the calamitous that gets all of our attention. So many things go right every single day, and yet we focus, because it's newsworthy, it's different on what's bad, what's wrong. So thousands of planes take off every day. Not a word. But if one crashes, all the attention is focused on that one. Millions of people, tens of millions, get in their automobiles every day, drive to where they're going, drive back safely. Not a word. It's the crash that gets the attention. We get that. It's newsworthy. How many people go to bed at night, turn off their lights, lock their doors, wake up in the morning without a mishap, and yet it's the home invasion that everybody hears about? And it's interesting that it's the same way in the human body, isn't it? There are millions, literally millions of things that go on every moment in the human body. It's an amazing self-contained machine. You just add fuel in the form of food and it does the rest. Everything works. Eyes see, ears hear, all these different functions, biological and electrical, chemical, all these things happen so that you just put the right kind of food in and your body says, I'll take that and I'll make these enzymes, that'll do help to digest the next food that comes in and I'll give it electrical energy so that when this light hits your eyes it goes back into your brain and it translates into an image and that in your brain tells you something it's just an astounding machine but man oh man if something doesn't go right we hear about it don't we all these other functions of the body work perfectly but oh my goodness this shoulder of mine oh the one thing we get it. It's out of the ordinary. It's something different. One of those incredible take-for-granted systems in this amazing body that God gave us is the ability to feel satiated. To feel hungry on the one hand, but then satiated full. I imagine that probably kicked in for all or most of you on Thursday, didn't it? Where Oh, you're looking forward to all that, whatever your Thanksgiving feast was. And then uh, you get about three-quarters of the way through, and you start to slow down, and it's like, yeah, but it's so good. And then, oh, and there's pie. Oh, okay, come on. Bring it. Your body does that. And it's astounding, isn't it? This thing that God hardwired into us. And it's a complex system. It involves all kinds of different things, including blood sugar and all this other thing, and the signals go to that part of the brain that regulates that and is saying, enough, 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 stop, stop, stop. And it gets to the point where you just almost physically can't eat anymore. 
That's a blessing, isn't it? Now, granted, that system should kick in a little sooner for some of us. But it is astounding. Even the idea or the, the, the feelings of being hungry, your body telling itself, you need to give me some more fuel. I need something. All of this we look at and we, we agree with David, don't we? I will praise you, O Lord, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Yet, as is the case with every blessing, there's potential for abuse in everything. All the good things that God gave us. All the systems that he put in us. And in this case, the one that we're going to look at this morning is a part of that natural satiation that God created in us. That system of telling us that's enough. Now the way it's supposed to work is part of that system says, I'm hungry. And then God intends that he supplies that need, we get enough, and we say thank you. It's a pretty basic system. But the danger in that is that we short-circuit that. We need, or perceive a need, we get what we, got, what we want, and we're satiated to the point that we become apathetic. I always get what I want. I always, there's always enough food. And we leave out the God supplies and the thanksgiving part of it. And if this is true in something as simple as this hunger and satiation mechanism in the body, something secular, something temporary, we know it's got to be bad when apathy drifts into the spiritual. That's what we're going to look at this morning on the basis of our text. That text is found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. And we're going to seek answers to the, this question, these problems that we have about how can we avoid this apathy. And we do it in part by asking the simple question, who cares? Who cares? So we read, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is God's word. 
given by inspiration through the prophets, mercifully preserved down through the ages for us. That our God would give us the gifts he longs to give us through the study of these his, his words. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. You live in North Dakota, and I assume occasionally you drive at night, probably in the country, some of you a lot. So you also know how stupid deer can be, which is amazing because they're smart enough not to appear in the daylight during 16 days of the year in front of me. But when it comes to crossing the road at night or even in the day, my goodness, these wily, crafty creatures become dumb as boiled gravel and it's it's not just that they 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 just like are standing in the ditch and waiting for headlights and then run across they stand on the road and look and here comes a car a, a ton of moving steel and no no not yet not yet not yet not now boom boom and then it's like how can they be so stupid in that expression deer in the headlights yeah, we get that. Now, complaining about how deer cross the road is as productive as complaining about government spending. But for creatures as cagey and wily, it defies our sense of logic. So what does this have to do with you and me? As you undoubtedly notice from our scripture readings and from our sermon text, this Last Sunday of the church year focuses on the end of human existence on earth, the end of earth, the coming judgment, resurrection, and so forth. You and I do not want to be like those deer when it comes to that day. We do not want to be those seemingly dull, lifeless creatures that stand there and hear, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and we stand there, okay, and are caught unawares. Because that wreck on the highway is going to appear as nothing to that sentence that we heard in both of our readings for the godless, that eternal destruction in hell, that that most horrible of all things we could ever hear from our God, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Everlasting fire. We don't want to be like that. What's our greatest enemy? In my opinion, apathy. It's the apex killer of Christians. There is nothing worse. That indifference, that, that part that just says, I don't care. What can you do with that? How do you deal with that? Now, if you were, God forbid, to be caught up in some grievous sin, and you were crushed by it, and you came, and you fell on your knees before your God, your God and you, in repentance, confessed your sin you would be in an immeasurably better situation 
than if you had not committed that grievous sin but just didn't care. Didn't care about what God says. Didn't care about God's laws, God's rules. Didn't care about any of this. Just didn't care. Scripture is not quiet about the danger of this, especially for those in your situation and ours where we have heard, we have come to believe, our feet have been set on the path. And that, that apathy that can creep in and pull us away, listen to what the writer to Hebrews says about that. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, so they were once Christians and fell away, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now the grammar of that whole passage is interesting. It's not really saying it can't, but it's, the sense is, What's left? What's left if they've already heard the gospel, if they've already heard the truth of how they're saved and they at one time believed it, but then threw it away? So what could possibly make that happen? Apathy is the thing, that indifference, that, okay, I've got that, no big deal. It's the same problem that's identified to the church in Laodicea, isn't it? Remember the seven letters to the seven churches, the beginning of the book of Revelation? Listen to the beginning of the letter to the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Recognize here not only the voice of God himself, but the fact that God doesn't make threats. God pronounces what will happen if. And note also that God doesn't promise these things. He doesn't tell us what will happen with the hope that it does. It's always with the hope that it does not. He's a loving God. He's always warning us, this is a danger, and I'm telling you this to avoid that danger. This is the sort of thing that our old Adam needs to hear because it falls so easily, isn't it, doesn't it, into that apathetic indifference. When we have it good for so long, when we're satiated time after time by the Word of God, it's so easy to just take for granted. This is the sort of God we have, the God that loves us. He hates evil but he loves you, and he doesn't want that worst of all pronouncements. He doesn't want to be what he says to you. He doesn't want you on the left with the goats on Judgment Day. He doesn't want you in that crowd that has to hear, depart from me, you're cursed. And so he offers this warning. Listen again to our text for this morning, and this time I'm going to read through it, but I'm going to emphasize where this text, and you can follow along on the back of your bulletin, where this text says, I and myself, and remember who's talking. This is God 
the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of the universe, the one who created it, holds it all together, and when he gives the word, it will disintegrate. This is God talking to you. Not somebody else, you, me. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy Isn't it startling when you read this, when you hear it, but remember that this is God, the creator of heaven and earth, talking to you. This is the the entity that is immeasurably greater than the sum total of his entire creation, including the angels. Incomprehensibly great. And yet, what is this creator of heaven and earth concerned about? What does he concern himself with? You. So the first answer to our question, who cares? God cares about you. That's just astounding. Uh, Apply it personally. God cares about me. How could he? How, why would he? Why would one immeasurably greater than even our human ability to comprehend in part, why would he be all concerned about me, and yet our text makes that clear, doesn't it? I will do this. I will seek you out. I will preserve you. I will look for you. I will give you, and again, it's a metaphor, obviously. He's not talking about us being literal sheep eating grass. He's saying, I will take care of you. I will provide for you, and when you stray, I'm going to seek you out. Now, we have that terrible power to reject, to turn away, to run away from God, but that's not God's will. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he care about the likes of us? Some will say, well, our our value is based on what Jesus has done for us. Well, that's true. But the Bible also tells us that he loved us before we were created, before the foundation of the world. Before then, Jesus came and suffered and died and placed that value on us, God loved us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're reading in Ephesians 1, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. That means even before sin entered the world, therefore before Jesus came and paid 
with his innocent life, our sin debt on the cross, God loved us. Again, how amazing when we stop to consider two truths. First, us, how unworthy we are of anything, let alone the attention of God, let alone his love and compassion. And then second, when we consider who this entity is, the creator of the universe, that he should be concerned about me. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense. But then we carry that truth into another aspect of our existence. Can you see then how bewildering it is? How sinful, immoral it is? When God has shown his concern for us to be apathetic or indifferent toward him. That just is appalling, isn't it? When you consider God and all he did, his care for us who is infinitely greater, how appalling for puny man to then respond with apathy or indifference toward a God who loved him enough to send his son, to have his son suffer agony beyond our ability to comprehend, far beyond the nails and the sword and the cross, the separation from God himself, paying the debt of sin owed by the world. And yet our God loved us so much, he did even that. Apathy would, would, if left unchecked, would lead us to the end of that text, that, that abrupt ending. Did you hear it? And the fat and the strong I will destroy. That's apathy. That's the fat and the strong. I don't care. I got enough. The fool that we heard on Thanksgiving evening that had a tremendous harvest and was so proud of it. And you fool. Today, your soul will be required of you. So we don't want that. But God in his mercy didn't just say, yeah, you don't want that, and then leave us on our own to try to figure out how to avoid or to fix that problem. He gave us his word, that unending storehouse of everything good that our God wants us to have. That's the antidote to this spiritual killer known as apathy or indifference, that word of God. And I can't tell you how many times I've visited with people that are drifting, that are falling, that are being sucked into this apathetic indifference and unbelief. And it's always the same. It's always, well, I just, yeah, I, I stopped going to church or I... I was going pretty good, and then once a month, and every other month, and eventually. And, you know, I used to read my Bible, but I, I don't know. And there's this immutable truth that the more you're in God's Word, the greater your understanding that you need it. It's, it's the opposite of food, really, because when you are hungry and you eat, you're satisfied. When you expose yourself to God's Word, then the hunger begins and you realize that's why the bible the the prophets in the old testament knew talked about 
I love your word. It's like honey to my mouth. It's, it's this thing that I can't get enough of. I love it because it fills me, because it strengthens me. And what they find, these people that are falling into this, is just like, just do this. Go back to church, read your Bible every day, and see what happens. And apathy just dissolves. It can't stand before the power of God's word. When you hear what you were, what God has done for you, the Holy Spirit worked in you, and therefore what you are now, how could man ever be indifferent? So it's God who, who promised to provide everything that we need, who gave us this word, and yet we acknowledge this morning we have that terrible power to walk away from him. Don't. Don't. It's right there. You all have a Bible. You all have time. Go there. There's nothing more important, nothing more lasting than this. Apathy will then vanish with God, thereby working in you and for you. You can have absolute, complete confidence that you can stand uncondemned before him through faith in Jesus Christ when he returns. Amen.